Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we talk about polygamy doctrine, the creed, and the behavior of polygamists and polygamy on our show. And this is part three in a series presenting the equality of male and female according to God's original design, which although men have changed, God has not. But first, for information, for anyone who might be interested or are interested in leaving a polygamy situation, you can contact a shield and refuge. Uh, they will talk with you and they provide a safe place for you to go. You can call them toll free at 877-425-9993. Go to our website shieldandrefuge.org for more information. Of course, everything is held in confidentiality. And for questions or comments or to be a guest on our show, uh, you can send us an email at email at whatloveisthis.tv or call 385-240-2888. And now I would like to welcome back and thank Girl Erskine for helping <laughs> Thanks present for having me. our information Appreciate on this it. show. Thank you. Uh, this is part three of yeah. our show on equality. Uh, Mormonism, specifically Mormon polygamy, exerts strict patriarchal authority over women who are expected to submit to male authority without question. This plan for women, however, was never God's plan. Early Mormonism laid a foundation that allows for no gender equality and they place the blame on God. And sadly, many females in polygamy and Mormonism have been and are its greatest voices for their own op oppression. They are more than willing to accept less than God created them to be because they listen to and believe men instead of God. Brigham Young was a formidable polygamist <laughs> who autocratically demeaned the role of women. We see that in this next quote. Yeah, this is from the Journal of Discourses. If we could make every man upon the earth get him a wife, live righteously, and serve God, we would not be under the necessity, perhaps, perhaps, <laughs> of taking more than one wife. But they will not do this. The people of God, therefore, have been commanded to take more wives. The women are entitled to salvation if they live according to the word that is given to them, and if their husbands are good men, and they are obedient to them, they are entitled to certain blessings. <laughs> now, like I said, too many women listen to Brigham Young instead yeah. of listening to God. Sad. And Brigham Young got it all wrong. God never commanded men to take more wives. God never said that self-righteousness would entitle salvation. Marriage has nothing to do with eternity. Jesus purchased our ticket to heaven. We cannot earn it or deserve it or be entitled to it or marry into it through polygamy or female subservience. Notice that Brigham Young labeled Mormon men as righteous right. and that women must be obedient to them. But there are millions of righteous men on this <laughs> planet who are not Mormons or polygamists. And there are millions of righteous men who do not oppress their wives but treat them as equal partners that God created them to be. Another 
horrible remark from <laughs> Brigham Young is in that sermon is this. And you wonder why we don't, or the Mormons don't go to the Journal of Discourses anymore. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Volume 16. <laughs> I do not know what the Lord could have put upon women worse than he did upon Mother Eve, where he told her, Thy desire shall be to thy husband, continually wanting her husband. I do not know that the Lord could have put upon women anything worse than this. Says a woman of faith and knowledge, I will make the best of it. It is a law that man shall rule over me. His word is my law, and I must obey him. He must rule over me. This is upon me, and I will submit to it. Well, you know, that makes <clears throat> for some interesting conversation. <laughs> yes. History reveals Brigham Young to have been a greedy tyrant, an aggressive, oppressive, arrogant, uneducated, and patriarchal misogynist. And that's just a few of the adjectives that history reveals him to be. Again, everything he said in this statement is God, he got it all wrong. And yet he had 55 wives, yeah. or 56, depending yeah, on what I've list you're looking too. at. Yeah. And his wives bowed their knees to him as obedient slaves believing the lie that they were not his equal. Now this is part three of our series on the biblical witness of male-female equality as God created us to be. We finished part two with the Old Testament examples of female leadership of Deborah and the powerful male Boaz using his position to serve Ruth and Naomi instead of lording it over them. We talked about Deborah being a prophetess, which is equal to being a male prophet. It's a worthy mention here to point out that there are several prophetesses recorded in the Bible. In the Bible, the word prophetess is used eight times, and we're going to put them up on the screen so that you can see what we are referring to. Yeah, just br briefly, Exodus, there's Miriam, Moses' sister, in Judges, Deborah, Second Kings, Huldah, and in Second Chronicles, Huldah, Nehemiah, no. No, dia, no, no, Adia. I tried to say that before. <laughs> a false priest, prophetess, and in Isaiah, Isaiah's wife, and in the New Testament, in Luke, Anna, and in Revelation, Jezebel, who's also a false prophetess. So, w women can be true prophets of God, genuine prophets of God, just like males there can were, be, and yes. false prophets as well. And we have a false prophet in both the New and the Old Testament. Now, to further affirm the teaching of biblical male-female equality in God's purposes, we find Acts 2.18, the fulfillment of Joel 2.28, where in the latter times God said that men and women would both prophesy. Now that's equality. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and here it is in Joel 2. And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So this passage in Joel in the Old Testament is recorded as being fulfilled after Jesus ascended into heaven and at the time of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, in verses 16 on it says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
So we wow. see here, yeah, we see here that God said that there will be males and females equally that would serve him as prophets prophesying. And then in Acts chapter 21, verse 9, God tells us that the evangelist Philip had four daughters who prophesied. That's intimidating, yes, isn't it? it is. Can you imagine the LDS <laughs> or polygamous to allow female prophets? The Bible says there's neither male nor female to God. He calls us according to his goodwill and purposes, not according to human prejudices. The New Testament has a lot to say about female equality, both in teachings and how Jesus modeled proper and sensitive interactions with women. He showed no favoritism of male above female. In fact, those he did show partiality to were the downtrodden, the underdog, the mistreated, and often those people were females. Male or female or rich or poor, nationality or education didn't make any difference to Jesus. In fact, we discover that Jesus intensely disliked arrogant, patriarchal religious leaders. We quote from page 18 of New Man, New Woman, New Life. In patriarchal cultures, men compete and fight to get honor, power, glory, and high position over each other. Now, we see this in patriarchal cultures even yeah. today. Yeah. And that attitude was prevalent in Jesus' day. Actually, Jesus himself was criticized by the patriarchal attitude of the religious leaders who envied Jesus because of his popularity with the people. Even his own disciples got caught up <laughs> in the potential pride and power of their relationship with the Lord Jesus. We quote from Mark chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the, uh, at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, in this question, in this request, they're desiring, it shows they're desiring power and prestige yeah. and authority. Jesus' answer, however, in verses 41 and 45, clobber patriarchy and their domineering attitude. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we saw that with the story of Boaz. Boaz yeah. came and he served sure. these two women. Yeah. He didn't lord it over them. Now, if, if they are following in Jesus' teachings and example, no true godly leader or husband will exercise forced authority over woman. Now, most of us can agree that Jesus modeled how a perfect human should behave in both attitude and conduct. There's no doubt that according to Jesus, the ideal man is to serve others, not lord it over or oppress others, regardless of how powerful of a position he may have. Jesus himself assumed no patriarchal attitude over others, male or female, nor did he affirm the patriarchy of his contemporaries. He easily could have, and since Jesus is God, his own power and position could have been used to undermine everyone. But he didn't do that. And polygamous men who claim to be following God more closely than everyone else on the planet would do well to study and emulate Jesus. 
in Philippians chapter 2 explains how Jesus himself behaves like he wants us to. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So here we have it, yeah. the, the, the high... His whole life, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Now, I ask polygamous women who are watching this show, is this the way your husband and your leader treat you? Does he treat you as though you are better than him or even equal with him? Jesus never used his power to exalt himself or exploit others or oppress females. No polygamous man or Mormon leader has any biblical authority to demand the submission and subservience of his wives or any females. Jesus Christ is the only man who has spiritual authority over any of us. Jesus is Lord. He is master. Your polygamous husband is not your Lord or your spiritual master, and neither is the prophet of your religion. Let's check out some examples of the treatment of females as recorded in the Gospels and compare if Mormon polygamists practice this kind of inequality. First, we <laughs> present Mary, the mother yeah. of Jesus. Yeah. Joseph was a godly man, betrothed to Mary. He discovered she was pregnant before the actual marriage, and he knew he didn't do it. He could have done many things to punish Mary before the angel told him what was going on. But Joseph took the high road. He didn't demean or reject or play the patriarch with Mary. Through the entire situation, Mary had the limelight. He didn't. In fact, he eventually fades away into silent history. He was a great man who humbly served God's purposes. About Joseph, we quote from Maelstrom. He embraces a radical gospel brand of manhood that dismantles cultural and religious systems both then and now that falsely define what it means to be a man. Joseph's story contains a surprisingly relevant example of gender role reversal. For this hard-working carpenter closes up shop to get behind God's calling on his wife, not only recognized God's calling on his wife, but fearlessly champions her as she pursues it and takes great pride in her accomplishments. Joseph took the back seat to yeah, marry his went wife. Went to Egypt for a couple of years mm -hmm. or so, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. We, and, and, you know, we would be desperately challenged to think of any instance in the entire world of Mormon polygamy where a male would even consider taking a lesser position than his wife. And Mary's husband, Joseph, is called a righteous man. The second example is Jesus Christ himself. Now, the Bible repeatedly tells us that Jesus was 100% God and at the same time 100% man. Jesus was the ideal man. Any idea of how a real man should be defined must begin with Jesus. Jesus' manhood did not lord it over others. Instead, he opposed the cultural's appeal to man's pride and self-importance and demeaning treatment of women. He did the lowliest of jobs when he washed his disciples' feet. He taught that the first will be last and the last will be first. In other words, it's not a good thing to be at the top. Patriarchal leaders didn't like to hear that. We quote again from Maelstrom. Page 185. 
He is directing them to see themselves at the bottom and to conduct themselves accordingly, just as he had done for them. He said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And that is in response to washing, washing the disciples' feet. feet. Jesus' model of manhood urges men to care for others rather than lord it over them, whether male or female. The way Jesus interacted with women confirms his war against female inequality and patriarchal controllers. We quote from New Man, New Woman, New Life. One of the consequences of living in a world of thorns is that women became valued mostly for her ability to bear children, run a household, and satisfy a man's sexual urges. Jesus, however, releases us from the burdens that resulted from the fall. He redirects attention away from false expectations to point out what is really important in anyone, male or female. For instance, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells Martha, who was working hard in the kitchen, that her sister Mary was doing the most important thing. She was learning from Jesus himself. Now, what polygamist or leader would ever approve his wife or wives neglecting their domestic duties <laughs> to sit at the feet of Jesus? But Jesus defended and supported such neglect by Mary. In Luke chapter 7, the woman anointed Jesus' feet while Simon the Pharisees ridiculed him for allowing it. Simon viewed her as beneath him. Jesus viewed her as a repentant and forgiven, valued human being. In John chapter 4, Jesus purposely meets with a Samaritan woman at the well, and we have a good explanation of this. I, I like this. A deep hatred existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews thought that Samaritan women were always ritually unclean and polluting. Moreover, one of the most important things that ritually unclean women were not to touch were drinking cups. And Jesus asked the woman for a drink. No wonder the woman was surprised. There's a lot of things like that, little things in the text in, yeah. in, in the Bible in where we just pick them up when yeah. we study them and, and see the beauty of what God is teaching us. The story of the woman at the well clearly records that she was living immorally. But Jesus went against cultural norms and befriended her. Jesus didn't demean her. Now, he didn't justify or condone her immoral lifestyle, but he did not preach hellfire and brimstone to her either or exert male religious authority over her. He spoke tender truth to her. He revealed himself as her redeemer. And because of her belief, he forgave her sins and saved her soul all without one word of polygamy. <laughs> Even his disciples, when they returned, were shocked that Jesus was speaking to a woman. But Jesus ignored prejudicial attitudes towards females and served them instead. And this woman became the first evangelist, a female. And many people became believers in Jesus because of her testimony. Before we go any further, we need to address a very false yeah. Mormon belief at this point that Jesus was a polygamist and that he was married to some of these women that he ministered to. Yeah. Uh, some people say, well, of course Jesus did this to the women. He was married to them. No, he wasn't. There is no record of Jesus ever getting married or being a polygamist. It didn't happen. In fact, he couldn't have been a polygamist because he never sinned. 
And Deuteronomy 17, 17 tells us that God commanded that the kings were not to take plural wives. Now, Jesus was king. He, he presented himself as king of the Jews, and he is now king of kings. And if he had been a polygamist, he would have disobeyed God's commandment and become a sinner. But Jesus was sinless. He never broke any of God's commandments. Therefore, we know he was not a polygamist. Now, the next example that Jesus modeled in treating women with respect and as equals is in John chapter 8, where he is presented by the male leadership with a woman caught in adultery. Jesus refused to be pressured into condemning this woman. She was caught in the act of adultery, but it takes two. Where, it's always been an interesting part of the story. Where it? was that man? Yeah. We quote again from New Woman, New Man, New Life. Jesus told the men, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. How does that response challenge the traditional double standard? The double standard is the belief that while adultery is a crime for women, it is okay for a man to have women other than his wife. Now that certainly is a double standard in today's Mormon polygamy groups, for sure. Multiple sexual partners is okay for the man, but not mm -hmm. for the woman. And, and I think this is probably an age-old kind of double standard. It sure seems it, like it, yeah. It, it does, doesn't it? Jesus refused to support sexual prejudicial condemnation and instead he challenged all these men in their fiasco and they all turned and walked away in the shame of their own sins. The woman walked away in the freedom of Christ's forgiveness. So again, this would never happen in the Mormon polygamy culture. They would have ripped her to shreds mm. and yet they all claimed to be God's people obeying yeah. his commands. They couldn't be more deluded. Finally, we read in Matthew chapter 21, where Jesus told the patriarchal religious leaders this. I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. I think it's interesting in this verse that the testimony of other believers, yeah. that people who come to believe, is a testimony against those who continue to, to reject and not believe. That's true. It's yeah. that, you see that in this. But, but the part we want to bring out in this particular verse is, that Jesus placed the prostitutes who repent and believe in a higher position above all those religious leaders who acted in their own self-righteousness and traditions rather than according to God's words. That's one of the things Jesus didn't like about the religious leaders of those days is they clung to religious tradition and he says instead of God's word. No, they didn't have any heart for... Uh... I mean, they had such a, they were so tied into the law and the rules that they couldn't see beyond that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like you said, where was the man in this stoning process? If, exactly. Why, why wasn't he brought forward and, uh, and judged or Yeah, you know, exactly ridiculed. that. And, and it, yeah, um, but we find that, that God does not place value on our gender at all. Yeah. Um, he does place our value on the doing the will of God as revealed in the Bible, not according to 
religious traditions, not according to polygamy traditions or Joseph Smith traditions or Mormon traditions or any other religious traditions. It's according to God's word. Jesus said, who is my mother, brother, and sister? He who does the will of God. Yeah. And the will of God is presented in the Bible. And this brings us to the end of part three of our series that male and female were created equal and God still considers them as equal. Uh, we'll do part four next time. And I thought that part four would cover everything I want to talk about. Um, and maybe it will, maybe it won't. I see won't where know you're until, at when you're done. Huh? Right. I'll see where I'm at when I'm done with part four. If not, then it'll end up being a five-part series. But anyway, uh, we will be tackling some very controversial <laughs> and seemingly difficult passages from the New Testament. Um, you know, the ones where women can't speak in church yeah. and, and a man must, or a woman must submit to her husband. And, and some of these seemingly yeah. difficult uh, to understand verses in the New Testament, but they're really not as difficult as they seem. When they're put in context. When and, they're put in context yeah. and culture, yeah. and then looking in the words. You know, what does the w original word mean? Yeah. Now, are you going to do this in a Bible study or something? Well, I've been asked to do um, this in two women's study. Bible studies. Okay. Um, and so if anybody's interested in, in having this, you can always email me, doris at childrenrefuge.org, and we can talk about it. But uh, it's, it's such an interesting topic, it is that, so fascinating. especially with this culture. Yeah. Well, and, and it's kind of like we've talked about, the, the, I hate to say the brainwashing, but the, the way we, we as humans are willing to be led and guided or, and believe such things without thinking on our own. Not yes. do any really, yes. really good study in context and biblical study, and so on. And I think there's a fear of challenging. You know, if somebody says something that isn't, that doesn't even sound right, like if a male is telling a female or yeah. another male, you yeah. know, and, and he's the leader. That's what patriarchy is: is a yeah. leader over everybody else, and <clears throat> and they think, well, he's the religious leader. He ought to know. I don't dare even question him. Yeah. And and our culture, polygamy and Mormons. Don't even encourage the questions. Yeah, we're we're, <coughs> we're almost afraid to uh, of the answer. I guess I'm not sure. <laughs> well, but I know we the one who's questioned is afraid of them because he can't answer them. Yeah, that's not, very true. Not properly, yeah. at least. Not yeah, the way. I ran into that when I tried to ask my questions about things, and they just kind of. Okay, well, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and one thing I like to say, Earl, to, to our, our viewers is God told us to test everything, question everything, and, and to search the Bible to see if what they teach is true. And um, <clears throat> if they're afraid, if the truth can be tested. Yeah. And the, Jesus' disciples asked him question after question after question, and he never rebuked them for it. No. He never did. He would, he would say things to make him think. But it is okay to ask questions, and questions should be answered from the Bible. Thank you again. Yes, we'll my do, pleasure. We'll Thank do you. Part we'll four do this someday. Again. Okay. <laughs> you know, Jesus never did treat women as unequal with men. Instead, he would purposely lift them up and restore them and encourage them in the midst of an impressive religious patriarchal culture. God's ideal for women is equality with men. The Mormon polygamists indoctrinate women, forcing them to believe that they are not equal with the male and that they must surrender to unequal treatment. The woman must remain pure for her husband, but he can come to her having had a dozen wives and dozens of children. 
Only miserable brainwashing can convince people of such garbage. Jesus did come to set us free. And women in polygamy, you can be freed from this affront to your dignity by rejecting patriarchal control and submitting to the tender, loving lordship of Jesus alone. See you next time. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.